Welcome to Guided, a podcast all about following your intuition, no matter where it guides you. Welcome back to Guided, everyone. This is your host, Zach Luz. Guided is a show about following our intuition, no matter where it guides us. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the only four awakenings. So the idea for today's episode came from a conversation I was having with one of our listeners in Denmark. Uh, Let me pull up his email real quick. Okay, so he sent me an email and it touched something in me. So let me share a little bit of it. So he basically says, hey, thanks for the podcast. Um, And I wanted to let you know I've been in the dark night of the soul period, as you call it, since November. And I hope it won't last much longer. And he talks about how basically the structures that were holding up his old life situation became unnecessary and he was just kind of transcending all of them. For example, like he had this great working gig in, um, he had this great work gig, but then he lost his passion for it and he's starting to figure out, okay, where do I direct the future of my career? And um, because he wants to have location freedom, he wants to be able to provide for his family, he's got a couple kids, that kind of thing. And what he's really good at is uh, he's a musician. And what's unique about him is uh, not only is he a musician, he's a music teacher who's taught in multiple continents. And he also can generate like spiritual frequencies and he infuses that into his music. It's really cool. Uh, Maybe at the end of the episode, I'll play a little bit of his music so you can not only hear it, but you'll be able to feel it. Um, But here's the part that really got me to decide we were going to talk about the Only Four Awakenings, that, that theme for this episode. So he was talking about how he's been working with all kinds of spiritual healers, and he's been at it for a very, very long time. What he writes in the email is, before this healer that I worked with, I worked with another healer for hours every day for 10 years, and I had my own clients around the world until the beings or frequencies working with us became corrupt and it stopped working. I've been working on myself every day for soon to be 20 years, so I just feel that nothing is working and I just try stuff which never ever comes true. That touched something in me. I, I know how confusing of a process this can be to go through. And without a roadmap for the different levels of ascension, this is like super common. We can just kind of go round and round in circles, exerting an inordinate amount of effort. So here's what I responded back to him. I'll play a little bit of that message. Hey Sam, I got your note and um, wanted to record a voice note just because uh, it touched something in me. So I know exactly what it feels like to be in the pits of despair in Dark Night of the Soul. Um, it's really tough. It's really tough. Um, especially when you're doing everything. Uh, when you're doing all of the energy healing and you're doing all of the letting go of your patterns and you're constantly aware of everything. But um, I know what it feels like to be in that space where you just feel like you can't get out and uh, like it's never ending. So um, I've had similar thoughts where I've doubted spiritual teachers and I felt like, you know, maybe they're just frauds. You know, maybe they've been bullshitting me this whole time. Um, 
and I've been dumb enough to believe in it. But I wanted to share uh, a story of when I went through exactly that, uh, exactly those same feelings that I think you're going through now. So I had a friend and client of mine who wanted to get into a relationship. He's almost 50 and he's never been in a long-term relationship, anything longer than a couple weeks. Um, one of the reasons he's believed that that's been um, the case for him is because he's had, he has a moderate case of cere- uh, cerebral palsy. So, um, so yeah, when I uh, first started working with him, I was kind of doubting my own ability to help him. I was trying, but I was still kind of doubting it. I was like, well, uh, you know, maybe something that I do will work. So I really, really wanted him to um, heal his way through this and basically get to that point where he was in a long-term relationship with a woman that he really, really loved, not someone that would just settle with him, not someone that he would have to settle for, but just someone that he really, really loved. So after working with him for a while, I just decided, you know what, let's let's upgrade this and let's bring this to, you know, my own spiritual teacher, you know, the same one that you mentioned in the email, but let's bring it, to, let's just bring it to him and let's see if he can help him. So I convinced my friend to go to this event and we went, had the spiritual teacher work on him and then left the event and my friend was like, what the hell was that? Um, I don't really, you know, I felt good, but I don't think that that really did anything for me. And yeah, that that was really frustrating for me. And then I just, after I saw him not get the result, then uh, yeah, it really pissed me off. Uh, I felt like, you know, the spiritual teacher, maybe he was just full of shit the whole time. And that, yeah, I was too stupid to, to realize that. So afterwards, um, I continued working with him. And... Um, I was actually kind of so mad at the spiritual teacher that I was like, all right, well, let's see what I can do here. And then I like really started trusting myself and I tried to started experimenting with new ways of doing my own healing. And then, um, I, I I didn't talk to that friend for a while. And, um, a couple months ago, I found out that, uh, he's actually been in a long-term relationship for the first time in his life. You know, near 50 years old. Um, the woman that he's with is beautiful, um, can really see how beautiful he is too. And um, yeah, and he's having so much fun with her. And then I realized why I had been um, betrayed or um, why I had thought that my spiritual teacher was a fraud. And now I get it though. Like the reason that he did that was not only it was it was like now I get to see myself as one of one of the people on this healer's team. Like if I had brought him to that spiritual teacher and the spiritual teacher just healed him himself, um you know, I would have missed out on being able to contribute to him him in that way. 
So not only did my spiritual teacher, you know, play his role in helping him, but he also helped me elevate myself from feeling like my spiritual teacher was above me to realizing we're we're both on the same level. And um yeah, I mean the the gift in that was amazing. Because after that, that was, you know, I've had a lot of like really amazing transformations and stuff with clients, but like that one, that one was really special to me. And it just helped me start believing in myself so much more. It started helping me take my own healing abilities seriously. And it made me, it it like allowed me to feel like, yeah, you know, without me as part of this healing dynamic, my friend probably never ever would have gotten even to here. So, um, that's, that's what I hope is waiting for you, Sam. Um, I hope that the reason that you're going through all this challenge and everything is so that you go through some kind of similar, uh, experience like that. I hope that, you know, you get to feel and and know your own strengths on a level that you couldn't have, have even imagined. And yeah, I hope that, I mean, I know that this will all make sense for you eventually, but um, I hope that happens much sooner rather than later for you. So all my love to your family. I hope you are, hope you're doing well and um, yeah, good luck with everything. Hi, Zach. Um, I just uh, listened to your audio file for the second time and uh, thought that I might try to show my appreciation uh, by recording a message myself. Um, So your message deeply touched me. Uh, Just the action that you're you took time to reply. Uh, it was just very humbling experience because I I have this worldview that everything is about money, so I really didn't expect anything, and that you actually took the time to to create this incredible gift to me. Uh, it just elevated my understanding of human love uh, and the ability to unconditionally give from the heart without needing anything in return. Then he gave me a bunch of really helpful suggestions on how I could improve the podcast. And then he concluded with this. I think uh, this was uh, an honest attempt to show my appreciation for all your support that you've been so I'm almost starting to cry that you've been giving uh, through this difficult period uh, without any uh, compensation 
And uh, uh, so, okay. Well, thank you, and hope to hear from you again in the future. So, let's go back to this listener's experience. He's basically spent the past 20 years, every single day working on himself. And some for some of that period, he spent like 10 hours a day, like working with spiritual healers. That's an inordinate amount of effort and focus. So I have a soft spot for that because, you know, if someone's trying, I, I want to help them. Um, like sincere effort, it, it, it's definitely a soft spot for me. So I was um, trying to figure out how can I like answer this question for everyone because you know, if any one of us is going through this, a lot of us are going to be going through the same kind of thing. And I, and I know it because I see it in a lot of us where we just are willing to put our heads down and work so hard on this spirituality in a way that's really invisible to most. And it's hard sometimes for other people to see our inner transformations because they're so subtle and intangible. But I was listening to Dr. Michael Beckwith talk about the four awakenings that we go through. It's like these four levels that we go through. And it explained, I couldn't believe that he explained like 15 years of spiritual inquiry in like eight words. So I wanted to share those eight words with you guys so that it might give you kind of like a guideline for where you're at and then how to make it to the next level and how to know when you're in the next level. The first awakening is called Tumi. The oppressed are allowed once every few years to decide which particular representatives of the oppressing class are to represent and repress them. Karl Marx. So the first paradigm is called to me, because that's basically how we make sense of the world. Anything that happens, we believe that it happens to us. So chances are you have some friends or family members or people that you met that exist in this to me paradigm where you get with them and you know your heart goes out to them but they'll tell you stories of like you know you'll never guess what um my boyfriend did to me or my girlfriend did to me like i can't believe they did this to me again and you can swap out with you can swap out boyfriend girlfriend with anything like their boss did this to them, the government did this to them, this politician did this to them, their whatever, you know, their astrologer did this to them. Whatever it is, they feel like the world is happening to them. Now, um, I don't want to like minimize whatever they're going through because a lot of the times it's like, like, I don't want to argue with the validity of their experience. But what I do want to point out is as long as we exist in that paradigm, the strongest, the, the strongest thing we can do to change our experience, it's like, 
But as long as we're in that paradigm and we've located our personal sense of power outside of ourselves, there's nothing we can do to change our reality unless we can influence others. So when, when we're in the paradigm that um, the world happens to us, all we can do is um, try to like incite um, anger in people so that other people can join us in beating up the bad guy. Um, all we can do is use guilt and try to shame people into changing their actions because the only way that we can maintain our perspective of the world happening to us is if um, is if all the power is located outside of ourselves. It's basically the best we can ever feel when the world is happening to us is innocent. We can feel like an innocent victim, which is not that great. Now, um, I'm not arguing that there aren't you know, s systemic injustices that happen at every single level. I'm not I'm not saying like, okay, if you choose, if you choose differently, you can change the weather. But as long as we feel like the weather is happening to us, then we're kind of limited in our response to it. So um, if you're listening to the podcast, you probably, you might get into a lot of arguments with people that believe that the world is happening to them but you probably aren't operating under that paradigm as much anymore. I remember one of the most profound moments for me where I felt like the world was happening to me was when I got injured playing soccer. I was supposed to be right on track to go to college um, and get all the scholarships. I had the scholarship offers, but then I got injured and then all the offers went away. In that moment, I felt like the world happened to me. And um, I was just like, the thing that sucks about being in to me is like, all you can ever do with like the anger is you can bottle it up, you can kind of like spew it out on other people, but you don't feel you, you honestly don't believe that there is a way to change things. And that's how I felt. I just felt like so helpless and like an innocent victim to, you know, the guy that stepped on my foot and injured me. Yet, in retrospect, I totally understand how I brought that experience onto myself. Like, yeah, there was probably part of it that was like destiny working itself out, but I was also playing an active role in it. So I played defense, and I was also skinnier than a lot of the other guys. So since I was a defender that was skinny, I had to figure out different ways of playing defense and being aggressive. So, and basically to compensate for not being as big as the other guys, I was just like more aggressive and meaner. So I had this thing going on inside of me where, because I was in like this competitive mindset and I'm like, I'm going to fucking win that kind of feeling. 
I was willing to be super aggressive. So I knew how, like, if someone came by me, I could go and slide tackle, and then I'd poke the ball away with my first foot, but my second foot would go and just mangle the guy's ankle. Um, you know, if someone, like, tried to do some fancy trick and try to embarrass me by pl- passing the ball through my legs, you know, I'd make sure that I hit him when the ref wasn't looking. And all of this stuff I thought was just, like, normal. I thought that was just, like... That's just how it goes. Like, it's a competitive sport. It's an aggressive sport. Like, whatever. That's just what it is. So, as I'm saying that, you're probably thinking, well, Zach, uh, you may have taken a little bit more of an active role in you getting injured. Like, I can see how that's karma working itself back out on you. And that's precisely the shift in perspective that starts that starts creating that crack, that little crevice to start opening us up to the possibility that maybe the world happens by us. In retrospect, I can see how uh, that didn't happen to me. It happened for me and like redirected the whole trajectory of my life to one that I think was a lot more beneficial than me, you know, becoming a semi-professional soccer player. Um, I've, I've found like a lot more fulfillment out of these other things that I'm into now than I think I ever would have if I would have made it as a soccer player. Um, but in that moment, I I know what it feels like to feel like the world is happening to you. And as long as we, as long as we keep that perspective, like that's the best we can ever feel is like things are unfair and we didn't do anything to cause that. Even if that's the truth, it's still not the most fun reality to stay in because then our personal sense of security, our personal sense of power is outsourced. And it's like somebody else has their hands on the controls of our life. So usually when we get tired of that, we evolve into the next state of consciousness, which is by me. The second awakening by me. It is better to make something happen, good or bad, than to have it happen to you. Grant Cardone. At some point, it just doesn't really do it for you. So, so once we've either been like our curiosity or we've been guided away from a paradigm in which the world happens to us, we arrive at a paradigm where we start contemplating the idea that, you know, maybe I create my own reality. And um, then we start seeing that the world happens by us. This is when we take on like pretty significant amount of accountability for our own actions. We take a lot more responsibility for everything that's happening to us. And what happens is like our agency, like that sense of personal power, it starts coming into us. And we start, we no longer like allow other people to happen to us. You know, the, the weather can be rainy, but we, and there is nothing that we can do to change that. But we can change our experience of the weather. We can in, if, enjoy the fact that it's raining today. We can view it as a through all different perspectives so that we actually have fun when it rains. 
So this is when we get really excited with like motivation and um, we start wanting to have that effect on our world. And through this, we learn about visualization, manifestation, and we start having a lot of fun mastering that skill where we still, there are still things that, you know, happen to us and it's not like those things aren't there. It's not like those things aren't real, but we just have so much more of an ability to sift through those and like choose the meanings that are the most empowering for us, which is the primary emotion that we'll feel in this state of by us. You know, when we're, this is when I like started taking all the courses and reading all the books and going to all the workshops and doing all the masterminds and doing all that stuff because everyone in there, they were talking about how we can change the world and make it happen by us. So the main thing that we use to modify and alter our experience is our personal will. So really good example of this, of how it was tracking in my life was um, this is when I started working for this company that did business coaching. And the whole philosophy of the company basically boiled down to you, the CEO, everything happens by you. Like if you set a goal, you can achieve that goal no matter what that goal is. And we would teach all these strategies that would basically help you do more of that. So I would teach classes and, you know, share the material that we had. And it was, everybody always had the same goals. Like, okay, if you want to sell, sell enough stuff so that you make a hundred thousand dollars this year, you know, what do you have to do? And then we'd break down that down into like $12,000 a month, $13,000 a month. And then okay, how much is your average deal size? Okay, it's 5,000, so then you gotta get three of those a month, and how many appointments does it take for you to get this, and then how many phone calls does it take for you to get an appointment, and we'd boil it all down and go, okay, so if you just do five phone calls in the morning, five phone calls in the afternoon, then you're gonna hit your goal guaranteed. And people would be like, eh, yeah, I guess you're right, but they're, they're, they would still feel that thing inside them it was grinding against that. And what that was, was uh, this inner knowing that even if I can achieve the thing, even if I can accumulate something into my experience, it might not be the most fulfilling thing for me. Um, another example of this is like one thing I really wanted was I would go to my uncle's house all the time. And he always had these really cool wine racks and is always filled with all kinds of like really nice wine. So I got to thinking, I was like, shit, I got to have a nice wine rack and really nice wine for when guests come over. Like it's such an adult thing to have. And here I was seeing the wine rack fill up. But as it filled up, my desire to have really nice wine was decreasing. And by the time now the wine rack is completely full and it's full of like really nice wine. I don't drink. And this is the epitome of the limitation that happens when we're in the paradigm of by me. When we're in by me, we're limited by our own imagination. So things can only be as good 
as we imagine them to be. And when we're using our personal will, we're missing out on the higher perspective of our higher mind that comes from our higher self. Like our higher self has a broader vantage point and it can see everything that we want and not only everything we want at the moment, but everything we're going to want. So when we're operating in the world of by me, we can only have things be as good as we. So I started manifesting it, started visualizing it, visualizing, you know, the wine rack filling up and you know, people started coming over for dinners and then they always bring extra bottles of wine for my you know, any celebrations or parties or whatever that we held, people would always come with extra bottle of wine. And I was like, okay, I got all this wine. Then my uncle, without me ever even asking out loud, he says, hey man, I've got an extra wine rack. Do you want it? And then I take the wine rack and bring it into the house. And then it's already half full. And then it starts getting even more full with all the different wine that started coming in. Now, as the wine bottles are starting to trickle in, I had been growing on my like own spiritual journey and I had been heightening my intuitive abilities. Now the thing is, when you are amping up your intuitive abilities, alcohol can be a real drag. Even when they've achieved their dream day, we, they can only become as good as we can imagine them to be good. So I've, I've had a lot of people where I used to, when I was in the buy me days, I would teach them visualization and I'd have them write out their dream day in like painstaking detail. And then I'd use like a bunch of hypnosis and um, um, like I'd help them basically start manifesting it. So we, they'd visualize it and I'd anchor you know, all kinds of feelings into their body. And then all they have to do is like read it and then it would reactivate all of the emotions so that the manifestation was really, really charged and intense. And then all they would have to do is just like kind of think about it every once in a while. And I've had, I, I don't know how many people, but I've had a lot of people reach out with um, messages that say, Hey, Zach, I'm living my dream day. It happened. And the thing is, they want something entirely different now. They've achieved the thing that they thought would bring them all the happiness. But since they were doing it from their lower mind, from their personal will, it doesn't encapsulate all the things that they didn't even realize that they wanted. So if we spend enough time here, and this is when we kind of like, um, we can have like a loss of hope that happens where we just go, shit, I don't even know what I want. And then we're listening to everybody because like m most consciousness right now is kind of in the by me. And it's like, you can do anything, you can manifest anything, you can create your reality. And we're like, I did that. It didn't do it for me. So now what? Sometimes out of a place of um, frustration, we start entertaining the idea of surrender. For me, when I heard the word surrender the first time, it made me want to throw up because it was completely against everything that by me stands for. That first quote that I gave on this section you know, it's better to have something happen, good or bad, for you to make it happen than to let life happen. That's like the underpinning philosophy that keeps us in by me. And that's usually just because we let go of control sometime in the past 
and something bad happened and we're just afraid that it's going to happen again. But when we reach this point, we start thinking about surrendering our personal will and we start being like willing to be a little bit more open-minded and see what life has in store for us. Then we start getting closer to this idea of courageous surrender. I always hated the word surrender because for me that felt like this weak giving up thing. And that's how I used to view it. Now I view it as strength. Now I view it as courage. Now I view it as not micromanaging the universe. Where I'm willing to trust that my higher self will guide me, not only to everything I've ever wanted, but that and a hundred times that. And I'm willing to actually be in this like co-creative partnership with my higher self. So this is when we get to the next stage, which is called Through Me. The Third Awakening, Through Me. My formula for success was very simple. Do whatever is put in front of you with all your heart and soul without regard for personal results. Do the work as though it were given to you by the universe itself because it was. Michael A. Singer, author of The Surrender Experiment. So we enter through me with this sense of either humility or confusion. But what's happened is our higher self has started to like, um, it's like we kind of are letting our higher self drive for a little bit. It's like we're the, it's like a co-pilot thing where the higher self is like, okay, you're a little bit off course for yourself or a lot of bit off course. I'm going to just come in. Let me drive for a while. It's not going to make as much sense. Um, but let me put you on the right path. So sometimes we can be very like, um, trusting, open, and curious about that. Other times we're like fearful, controlling, and it kind of just drags us when we're kicking and screaming. But what happens when we start letting the world happen through us, it's like we spend less time using our personal will. Um, and we have like our will becomes more aligned in that like co-creative partnership with our higher self. It's like our higher self starts, um, that's where, that's where things come from. So things will show up in our experience where we're like, I don't understand why this has been put on my path. But then after we go through it, we go, thank God that happened. I totally can see now, like how that was like the most perfect thing for me. So a personal example of me starting to like let the world happen through me was when I transitioned from business coach to spiritual healer. It's so much easier to just say, I'm a business coach. I can help you make more money. People understand that they, it seems clear. It's enough of a thing. It's, it's, it's enough in mainstream reality where people go, okay, yeah, this is a real thing. It's so much more complicated, like telling people, yeah, I'm an energy healer. And basically what I do is I help you I can sense your energetic patterns and then I help you heal those and then success happens naturally. That's nowhere near as clear as the other version of the story. But for me, it's the truth. 
for me, like when I actually tap into what's the real truth of everything that I've done with clients, that's what it is. And yes, it's a pain in the ass and I don't understand why I have to talk about it and, and I don't understand why I couldn't have just been a business coach, but that's just the truth. And what happens is when we start allowing that truth to come through us and we express that truth, almost like a channel, but we're not channeling external guides and external frequencies and all that shit. Because most of the time when someone says, oh, I'm channeling this wisdom that's from my higher guides, usually they don't even know what the fuck they're plugged into. So, and it's oftentimes it's just like a seduction move. It's like saying, oh, my superiors tell me this. So um, if it if someone is saying that stuff and they're using that to try to like convince you that the knowledge that they're tapped into is legit, like, but it doesn't feel legit, guess what? It's not the highest truth. It's we're channeling our higher self. When we're on that path, when we're aligned in that way, magic starts happening. You know, serendipities, those start kicking into high gear. Um, synchronicities, like all kinds of like luck, it starts going your way. Um, and yeah, you can just feel yourself kind of in the groove with life. It becomes like this beautiful, poetic experience. And the coolest thing is there's no fear of not having control. Because as long as we're awakened and we have that relationship with our higher self, we're connected and we can like, our, our intuition is properly calibrated so that you know, we're getting the right information from our higher self and there isn't any other entity like interference or cloudiness around our navigation system. We feel, wait for it, guided. And we feel clear about every step on the journey. It just feels right. And even though we can't see like exactly where we're going, we are damn sure that the next step forward is the right step for us. And we start changing our relationship from that, that point where we need to control everything, we need to see the, all the steps laid out before us before we're willing to take us a step forward. It's kind of like um, the metaphor that comes up is like, uh, you know, if you waited, if you, if you had to wait for all the lights to turn green before you could leave your house, like you'd never leave your house. That's what happens in By Me is like we try to come up with a plan to figure out how we can make all the lights turn green. But when we go to Through Me, we start feeling really, really comfortable with our ability to drive our car. And, you know, we know how to stop. We know how to start. We know how to follow the flow. We know when to accelerate. We know when to back off. And we're also kind of being um, assisted by our higher self. So if we get off track, higher self is like, no, 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 no. You're going to go this way. So it starts kind of like kicking into high gear. Now this feels really, really good. Um, for me, my experience of it has been a general sense of ease and contentedness. There's little moments of confusion, but those are completely dwarfed by the sense of like connectedness and like protection that I feel from my higher self. It's like, once it's worked out enough, there's no reason to fear it.
So a lot of people, uh, when you talk to them about this, if they're like back, still back and by me, they're like, no way. If they're into me, there's like absolutely no way that they can even hear this message. Um, and they'll probably turn off the podcast, but that's okay. Um, the only limitation with um, operating from our higher self, not that broader self, is there's still like this, this sense of separation from all other things and all other beings. And um, the only thing that's passed through me is when we transcend that and we enter the realm of as me. The fourth awakening, as me. Walk as if you are kissing the earth with your feet. Thich Nhat Han. Or, I feel God in this chilies tonight. Drunk Pam Beasley from The Office, season two. You know, if I had their experiences, if I had their life, I'd be exactly the same as them. So we start feeling like this expansion of compassion in our hearts for everyone. Not in this like pitying other people, but it's like we see them. We realize that there's no difference between them and us. So once we enter the paradigm of ASME, like this is the thing that um, people write about and talk about and they say that like you just have to experience it to, to feel it and like language falls short of you know everything that as me really is but i'm gonna try anyway so as me is where that sense of separateness between you and other people it goes away it completely dissolves the ego breaks down so um when we see other people we stop seeing them as you know a separate being and us as a separate being. We just see them as another version of us that grew up with their childhood experience, you know, in their culture, um, it, like going through everything else. And it's basically like it's like and at some point it's kind of like the whole thing breaks down. So let me explain this as a metaphor. So when I was a little kid, I remember. Um, <laughs> All right, it's embarrassing, but it'll make you guys laugh. So one thing that I remember distinctly wanting for Christmas, and I'm horrified that I ever wanted this, was I wanted a Britney Spears CD. So my parents, bless their hearts, <laughs> I still don't understand why the hell my dad let me do that, but they got, they got me the CD, and I was excited as shit. Now, looking back on it, I go, how could you let that happen to me? How could you let me, let, let that be the thing that you, um, that be the request that you acquiesce to? Now, what happens is in that experience, there's like, in order to be in that first level, there's like a really big difference where there's Zach, the little kid that's receiving the gift, and then there's the parents. Now, once we reach this fourth stage, as me, it like it, it changes the dynamic, where there's no longer like a little kid that is hoping that he gets the right present. 
And the reason that they did was because that was what I said. That was what I controlled. That was what I wanted to manifest. I had the list of like, these are the Christmas presents I want. I want this and this will happen by my will. There's, um, there's no longer this parent that, you know, uh, feels like they need to give the right present. It's like the whole thing becomes like a charade. And it's like your sense of self, like it, it dissolves asking for the gift. There's no them that's giving the gift. There's just like the experience of giving. Um, when I was a kid, my dad used to talk about how we all had, um, we had love cords. So what happened is he's like, you know, you have these cords with people and anytime that you do like a loving thing or you feel like a loving thought towards them, you add like another strand into the rope that makes the rope bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And anytime that you have like a hurtful thought or um, you do a hurtful deed or something like that, you rip off like one or several of the little pieces of rope and you weaken the love cord. So for the entirety of my life, I was basically always existing in one or the other. Either I was like, okay, like, am I doing the thing that's strengthening the love cord? Or, you know, are they doing the things that strengthen the love cord? Are they ripping off the love cord? There's no, like, you that's, there's like you and them. And you're bouncing in between both of those to try to, like, see what it is. But as me is when you transcend, like, the human experience and your existence is in the field of love cords. Like you're no longer located in the people. It's like you're located in the huge web of love cords that exist in the world. Nothing's as personal anymore. And at this point, um, change, like changing our experience, it becomes kind of redundant. So one of the reasons that I put that other quote in, not the Thich Nhat Hanh one about walking um, as if your feet were kissing the earth, but the one with Pam Beasley, when she's drunk in Chili's going, I, there's God in this Chili's tonight, is because you know a lot of times we take this as me thing and the most accurate way for us to talk about it is with this like total reverence. But what happens as a consequence of that is like we just reserve it, we're like, okay, until I'm like a Sufi mystic, until I'm like an internationally renowned spiritual poet, like I'll never be able to actually understand what that is. But that experience is available in any moment. That quote from Pam Beasley from The Office is taken from a scene where um, they're at an award show at Chili's and it's just like a stupid award show that they do every year and um, their manager, Michael Scott, is just like really excited about it. And at this point in the episode, you know, uh, everyone's kind of annoyed. Um, everyone's very, very separate. Um, and you can just see like the whole award show is going poorly. They're about to get kicked out. And like nobody is really responding to Michael's um, heartfelt desire to unify everyone. So what happens is Pam gets drunk and she starts coming like way out of her shell since she's no longer inhibited and um, focused on her separate self she's just existing in that field of 
the, of the love chords, and her natural response is to create and include. So what she does is she just like starts going around and all of a sudden she's like saying like these really amazing heartfelt compliments to other people and she's like um, cheering Michael on with no inhibition about you know, how stupid she might look or how silly the whole thing. She's just existing as love. Not in like the inappropriate way of just like blending into someone, but she's just like being this beam of love. And it's actually really beautiful. So that experience of asthma, it's available to us in any moment. We don't have to be like a spiritual ascended master to glimpse it. Now, a lot of people, um, they hear about this and they feel like, wow, this is amazing. I want to experience that. And um, we might be back a couple levels in this thing. We might be in the first level or second level. And then we just go, well, let me just jump ahead into four. Let me feel what that's all, all that's like. But what happens is that's like super, it's super distorting. Because we go there, we have this sense of ego dissolution. All the structures in our life become completely meaningless. And we feel that sense of like true bliss, true peace. And we get the as me experience. But then as soon as the drugs wear off, as soon as the frog poison that we were like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll suck some frog poison down. As soon as that wears off, then we get snapped back into our reality, wherever we are on this like scale of consciousness. And then a lot of times it's like really, really hard to integrate that experience. Now there's nothing wrong with us experiencing that level of purity and truth and wisdom and, you know, inner joy. But it's like, it's so, it can be really, really distorting if we don't have the, if we haven't gone through all the other levels in order to be able to integrate that wisdom. Now, sometimes all we need is a glimpse to like push us onto the journey. But um, after my own experience with this stuff, you know, ayahuasca is like super popular right now. And the only way to, if you're ever going to do that kind of thing. Like, I, don't, I still don't recommend it. Um, the only way to do that is like with a legit shaman. And uh, it's, it's a lot of times it's very hard to know which shamans are legit and which ones aren't. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to get into that too much. But the point is, there's a lot of value in going through this sequence of evolution in terms of our consciousness, from shifting from to me, to by me, to through me, to as me, and going one step at a time. Because when we try to skip steps, basically what happens is it distorts the shit out of us. You know, if we've gone our whole life, you know, living in to me, waging war on other people that we feel like are perpetrating injustice, and then we snap into through me, we don't know how to make sense of anything. So instead of skipping, Take it one step at a time. When you use other stuff to like access the higher dimensions, it opens you up to um, all kinds of weird shit. And then go through all of the learnings that your higher self guides you to so that when you get into those higher levels, you can actually sustain them. So you don't just like pop in channel some stuff and then pop out and go, oh, I hate how the world's happening to me. You want to acclimate 
like like when we're you know ascending a, a mountain it's like you want to accl acclimate to the next level but and let your body get used to it before you go to the next level even though ultimately our destination is up at the top you can't just like snap right into that otherwise it's super distorting so that's it 15 years of spiritual inquiry summarized in eight words to me by me through me as me so if we apply all of this back to sam from the beginning of the episode he's in all four levels simultaneously the response that he sent back to me was, hey, whoa, Zach, this is changing my understanding of universal love. You can't feel that unless you're already in the fourth level as me. He's also in the third level of through me with his music. I'll play it in a second, and then you can not only hear how beautiful it is, but you're going to be able to feel it. You'll feel that divine healing that comes through, that it's, it's like infused into the music. And you'll feel that spiritual healing that he's fully capable of bringing to people. It'll probably be really helpful for a bunch of, bunch of people who are listening. You'll be able to feel that divinity being expressed through him, and you'll feel like the ease and joy and everything that, that, that comes through that. Now, he's also operating in the second level of by me, and this is just from the rest of his other experiences. He was talking about like, hey, I got a, uh, um, no, I got a job, it was a great paying job, but I lost the passion for it. You know, as a father, like, I know he's rooted in by me and he has like an inherent sense of capability where he knows how powerful he is and he knows that he can summon pretty much anything he needs to create the experience for his family. He's also in the first level. The only place that he's in the first level is with his frustration with the healers. Basically, his main frustration with the healers is like, I'm doing all the shit and they aren't doing healing to me in the right way where it's actually freaking working. And it, if it were to work, it would be a huge disservice to him. And here's why. Because if they healed him properly, they would negate the rest of his spiritual journey. There'd be no reason for him to make it through the four levels. There'd be no reason for him to finally say, you know what, I'm in charge here. Me and my higher self, we're going to make this happen. So what do you think? Do you think the point of all of his struggle was literally so he could just shop around until he found, uh, you know, the right healer with the right Amazon reviews and a bunch of testimonials and the purpose of his life was just to find that guy and order his program and then everything works out? Or do you think the higher purpose of these decades of frustration was for him to finally reclaim his own sense of um, authority in his life 
to allow divinity to come and express itself through him and for him to be his own hero, for him to be his own savior. I know which one I would want him to have. Your life is your life. Don't let it be clubbed into dank submission. Be on the watch. There are ways out. There's a light somewhere. It may not be much light, but it beats the darkness. Be on the watch. The gods will offer you chances. Know them. Take them. You can't beat death, but you can beat death in life sometimes. And the more often you learn to do it, the more light there will be. Your life is your life. Know it while you have it. You are marvelous. The gods wait to delight in you.
Music by Samuel Gustafsson. If you'd like to follow him, you can find him on Instagram at Samuel, S-A-M-U-E-L, underscore, Gustafsson, G-U-S-T-A-V-S-S-O-N.